This is Tom Darling, your host for Conversations with Classic Boats, the podcast that talks to boats. We started season three with part one and a lively discussion with two Barnegat Bay veterans, the first Gary Jobson, Mr. Sailing to the Rest of the World, and winner of the 1967 BBYRA Penguin title, still fresh in his mind. The second Roy Wilkins, the godfather of the magnificent muscle catboat fleet of the bay, the A-Cat. Gary and Roy are two characters of Barnegat Bay, and we will be doing a tribute to another one, a master of the bay. In this, the last podcast of calendar 2021. Can you believe it? A pandemic and out of it emerges the podcast that talks to boats? Practically a miracle. And you, the subscribers, made it happen. Thank you, thousands strong, tuning into the broadcast about every 30 days. So here it is. Chasing roosters. East cows, A-cats, sneak boxes, and duck boats. Barnegat Bay Classics, Part 2. This podcast is a holiday grab bag, a secret Santa of sorts, of people, boats, and their stories of Barnegat Bay, the restless strip of shallow, breezy water stuck between the marshy New Jersey coast and the sandy strip to the east, bearing a seemingly endless parade of summer beachgoers. We hope that our many subscribers continue to follow us and tell a friend or two to sign on to the podcast. We love the reviews we're getting, from reviewers from the U.S. all the way to Australia. And welcome back to our sequel on Barnegat Bay, and it's more than 100 years of continuous yacht racing. We wanted to fill in some of the geological evolution of the bay before going back to the roots, to the derivation of the native designs, known as duck boats. The duck boat as vernacular to Barnegat Bay as the Beetle Cat is to New England, or the Sabbat to Southern California. Traditional, archaic, but ever popular. We'll talk to owners and families about the heritage of the varieties of duck boats, from 12 to 15 to 17 foot sneak boxes. Down to that plucky traditional bay trainer, today shoved aside by the Optimus Pram and the Pixel. And we'll tell the story of my experience with the Beaton's Boatyard Built Duck Boat, the official model of Mataloking's Duck Boat World Championships. But first, some announcements here in the holiday season. Shout out to Wincheck, our editorial partner reaching more sailors from New York City to the Cape. Check out the Wincheck website right now for our Harrisoff Hickman Hunt 100 Years of the American Runabout. Wincheck has been with us from day one, and we had been writing print articles since 2016, adding a classic boat flavor to the publication. We hope to do some new promotional work at events like Mystic Seaport Museum's new exhibition and its upcoming innovative exhibit space. We have big ideas for a bash for the 50th anniversary of the Opera House Cup in Nantucket the oldest event in the Classic Yacht Racing Association's race circuit. Holidays are here. Hopefully you did your gear shopping at Mad Martha's Team 1 Newport. Still time, still time for the supply chain to work its wonders. And the game's afoot with Spin Sheet in Annapolis 
as we work on designing, producing, and hosting custom podcasts for Mid-Atlantic customers. Keep watching for our continuing Back Inside Page Classic Boat feature. And check out our Boston Whale article in the December Prop Talk, the motorboat edition of the Spin Sheet Media Combine. And we'll talk more at the end about our new custom podcast, a new way for you, the commercial sponsor, to get your very own conversations with Classic Boats episode. Now, many listeners know that I am a Herman Melville fan, and the Moby Dick author was always keen on accurate detail of natural phenomena. As a fan of seaside geology, spending my summers in Nantucket, itself a sand hill at the end of a glacial racetrack, I was curious about the Barnegat Bay origins. This is a case of land making water, and in turn, water making land. With help from the pages of the book Chasing Roosters, which we talked about in part one, my good friend Peter Taylor tells the earth science story of the bay. As the Wisconsin glacial ice sheet receded some 11,000 to 15,000 years ago, the residue from the ice cascaded for more than 100 miles south of the terminal moraine. Translation for non-geologists, sand. A lot, a lot of sand. At the time, the ocean shoreline was about 80 miles east of its present location. About 6,000 years ago, waves and current combined with rising ocean levels to build up the sandy beaches about where the shoreline exists today. Gradually, the sand migrated north and south, forming a series of barrier islands. Those barrier islands define the east side of Barnegat Bay. From Bayhead down today to the Seaside Bridge, about nine and a half miles. All of this strip about 65 miles south of New York City. That sand, and the mud and the weed in it, make the bay a tricky, shallow dishpan of a sailing ground, made more challenging by the prevailing sea breezes, not dissimilar to the smoky southwesters we talk about in New England. Now the original local inhabitants, the Lenny Lenape, who populated the area from eastern Pennsylvania to southern New Jersey, knew the challenges of the bay. They stuck to the shore, close to the shore, with their canoes. Mother Nature does not always play fair. The residents of the town of Manaloking, where I spent the summers of 73 and 74, call it the land of the beautiful sunset. The Lenny Lenape had other ideas, something about sand and frogs. We talked about that in part one. But the story of this sailing haven is the story of sailing on Barnegat Bay over a century. How many people had ever heard the name Manaloking before Superstorm Sandy picked the town as ground zero for its landfall in 2012. TV viewers watch the ocean breach the barrier island and pour into the bay, mangling the eponymous Mantaloking Bridge in the process. They saw the hundred-plus homes, many dating back to the early 20th century or earlier, get pushed off the dunes and go west into the bay, or sit stolidly and fill up with salty, wet sand. We know. We went for moral support when a young friend and sailor went to see his family home for the first time, P.S., post-Sandy. Opened the side door, and the sand was packed to the ceiling. There was nowhere to get in. It's a chilling reminder of what wind and water can do. 
Today in 2021, Manaloking, for the most part, is the place rebuilt. But that sad day could never obscure the extraordinary Manaloking sailing community and its development in the last 120 years. As Gary Jepson said in Part 1, Manaloking is how a yacht club should be. A bar? No way. How many Olympians from one club could there be? Is there a record? I count 10 Olympians among the Mantaloking ranks. Anne Benedict, a multi-generational Mantaloking historian, in the book Chasing Roosters, serves up the club's creation story. Peter Taylor tells the story. It started as the Mantaloking Golf Club. They played on a course between the bay and the ocean and used a red ball so you could see it in the white sand. They built the Yacht Club on the present site. It was called the Mantaloking Golf and Yacht Club. The golf was not really played, so it became the Mantaloking Yacht Club in 1907. The town wasn't even incorporated until 1911. Priorities. Sailing first, town to follow. In my mind, there is but one grandmaster of Mantaloking. The Yoda. No, he's really the Obi-Wan Kenobi. The winner of more bay titles across boats from penguins to e-scows. That would be Runyon Coley Jr. Call me Runny. Remember him from part one in the gallery. He was the youth sailing a raft at a tender age with his sister nervously perched on top. You've all heard during scow sailing that Buddy Melgis is the wizard of Zenda. The same should be said about Runny and Manaloking. In Chasing Roosters, our guide to the bay, the story goes that Runny had just won the 1966 East Cow Nationals over all the inland lake hotshots. Gary Jobson, sailing on another Barnegat Bay boat and obviously preparing for his future TV role, wanted to ask Runny what it takes to win. But given the Occasion, he had to wait a few months to pose the question. What was Runny's answer? Quote, Gary, if you want to win, just sail around the course more often than your competitors. Make every minute count when you are sailing. Set a goal and practice. I will watch you with interest. That last phrase, I will watch you with interest, is Runny's, was Runny's, rejoinder to virtually any question or answer asked or given. Runny raced on the bay in 92 of the 100 years prior to 2013. And if you can believe it, he couldn't swim. The first move after an East Howe capsize was to go retrieve Runny. I know, I did it. His first of 18 bay championships was as a sneak box class in 1934. The boat was Dune. And the last was in the East Gow in 1994. Who can forget that boat's name? Calamity. That was 80 years of winning. And as far as I could see, he always started at the pin. Habit. But what amazed me most was running in the laser. 130 pounds, maybe sopping wet. In 1973, in his battered green laser, in his late 50s, in his ancient life jacket, he gave us all a run for our money. 
we, the alleged college sailing hotshots. If it was too windy, he just sailed in and had his lunch, in preparation for the afternoon e-scout racing. Ronnie was inducted into the National Hall of Fame for sailing in 2013, at the age of 98, and left us in 2014. A little-known fact about Barnegat Bay and the laser. Barnegat Bay may have launched the laser, and certainly launched its progeny, the Laser M. Trivia question. How did the laser start, and how did it start on the bay? How many remember where the first lasers appeared? How many know that it was on Barnegat Bay, as Skip Morehouse from South Jersey, who sailed at Manaloking often, was the first dealer? Many of us bought our first three-numbered lasers from Skip. We raced them hard. Skip did not object when we took them east of Route 35 and sailed them in the surf. Whoops, a famous sailor who will not be named. Pitchpoled his boat. And voila, broken mast. The broken mast that Carl Van Dyne, the 1968 Finn silver medalist, refashioned as the Laser M rig. It fit his baby brother, who was 17 years older, just right. This created a maritime urban legend that persists today. That the M in M-Rig stands for Manaloking. You decide. But we can all not be grandmasters like Ronnie. In fact, Ronnie and other Bay All-Stars cut their teeth on boats that we profile today. These native craft epitomized the people's boats made of tree wood by local builders like Perrin and Beatons, based on native designs dating back to the 1800s, when Barnegat Bay was a shooting gallery for waterfowl and a self-service tank for selfish. The pumpkin seed-shaped rolled deck design still is a model for the actual sporting duck hunter. Equipped with decoy racks front and stern, usually outfitted with a fabric dodger to repel spray, this so-called duck boat exists today as a compact, usually about 12 feet, stealth platform for hiding in a coastal march looking for birds to shoot. Before there were outboards, the propulsion system was oars and maybe a sprit sail. Today it's typically a 20 horsepower motor and a paddle just in case. Sometime in the early 20th century, a bayhead sailor, Slade Dale, decided that the native duck boat design should be captured in a one-design format. Today, his original cottage is part of the Bayhead Yacht Club. But his devotion to the duck boat took him on trips down to Florida via the inland waterway, a demonstration of duck boat durability. Within the parameters available in local boatyards, dozens of the new one-design duck boats, with a capital D, known by their builders, Beatons in Bayhead, Perrin down in the Toms River, became the junior trainer of Barnegat Bay. Generations passed the planked whole whale-decked craft onto the next. Roughly 12 feet long, mass less than that, it seems. Sail area, optional. To make it more confusing, the locals also called the same design, built at 15 and 17 feet, a sneak box alluding to the need for stealth in the presence of waterfowl. Now the question is, 
Is a duck boat a stink box? Or is a stink box a duck boat? How do it know? To the bay sailor, the answer is immaterial. To be clear, a sneak box would be a larger, stretched duckboat design in the Barnegat Bay incarnation. 15 to 17 feet, with a large gaff rig, crushing weather helm, and a total lack of manners downwind in a breeze. To a young person, a sneak boat was a big, big boat. Sometimes you needed three to five people as crew. The little kids were there pumping and bailing and hanging on. It was the definition of fun in a boat. The craft really required five crew. Driver, main sheet, two bailers to get rid of the water coming over the side and through the seams. The experience in breezy conditions is one that our good friend Emily Wesson, our senior sneakback expert, having driven one with a family crew in the late 60s into the mid-70s, describes as simply, quote, terrifying. Emily and I got together to talk about sneak box sailing in the bay. Well, my dad bought our sneak box from Terry Schwepp, who was a, a young friend, for 200 bucks. It was called La Derriere, uh, M23. And I raced it from age 12 to when I left Maniloking at age 17, 18. Um, every BBYRA, it was a small fleet, like maybe only four or five people. And the, the Wilsons from Seaside, they were big um, sneak box sailors. Uh, yeah, so. And this was in the morning, right? You'd sail the sneak box in the morning, right? Right, sneak box in the morning, East Cow in the afternoon. Right, 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 right. Because mm -hmm. yeah. I was talking to, to Gary and a guy named Roy Wilkins, who's the godfather of the ACATs. And he was telling a funny story about how they had to separate the ACATs and the East Scouts because the East Scouts were complaining that their wind was being ruined by those big ACATs. But you had no <laughs> problem like that because, as I recall, in the morning, uh, the only you were the biggest boat in the morning, correct? Because there were penguins and lasers and things like that. There were M scows in the morning too, oh, but I just compared the sail area and an M scow has like 13, 147 square feet and the sneak box is 156 square feet, okay. all consolidated into one sail way forward. Mm -hmm. So those suckers nose dived like crazy. But it wasn't that windy in the morning, was it? So you didn't have that problem or did it do it at all anytime? Uh, it could be windy in the morning. Mm -hmm. I just remember feeling um, my laser not having a lot of wind. So, but so okay. So tell me, tell us about what a sneak box race was like. I mean, upwind, downwind. You know, what was it like to jibe a sneak box? It looked, always looked kind of terrifying to me. It's terrifying, utterly terrifying. And you watch that boom start to balloon, wanting to balloon jibe, and then amongst the crew, there's great discussion. Shall we tack around? Which is totally wussy, right? But uh, Jibing was so terrifying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when it was really windy. But you know, we usually elected to right. to, to and jibe. How many of did you sail the boat with? Oh, I had my um, my crew was uh, Hetty and Lisa Bigsby from the Emlyn family, and Lisa Reinemann, and then whatever Lewis boy I could um, scare up and bribe. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that much fun crewing on a sneak box because really you had to bail and hike 
over and have your legs over pretty high combing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that comfortable for crewing. Right. And you got very wet. Yes, yes. And, and, and maybe I yelled. Most of the gaudy 1920s, 1930s cups for the regattas on the bay started as awards for sneakbox racing. In some ways, the sneakbox was what the IOD was to Long Island Sound, or the S-boat to Narragansett Bay, or Ray Hunt's 210 to the South Coast. See in the gallery for episode 17, a picture before World War II with Cliff Campbell, the patriarch of the Campbell family, father of Billy, grandfather of Andrew, leading the sneak box racing for the day. Emily Wesson's younger brother, John Wesson, talks about his lifelong experience with duck boats and its bigger cousin, the sneak box. John was one of my younger students at Mandaloking in the 1970s, and he stayed with it for almost 50 years, living in mid-Mandaloking in the house his family built, now raised up on blocks, with a sneak box in the yard on a trailer, and the duck boat stuck under the porch. See the gallery for examples of John sailing the duck boat off a beach at Mandaloking. Now, talk to me about this duck boat thing, John. John refers to the duck boat worlds as the worlds. How did this overgrown gun platform with a stubby Marconi sail become the boat of a world? The story can be traced back to one Peter Kellogg, financier, classic boat aficionado, owner of Silent Maid. He thought it was important to keep the tradition of the duck boat alive. The 50th anniversary of the World Ducks, as the locals call it, was in 2018 only six years after Superstorm Sandy had struck. A soundings article covering the 37th running of the Ducks in 2005 outlined this one-of-a-kind event. The article claimed that an anonymous philanthropist created the Duck Boat Worlds as a way to keep the Bay Boats in existence. Well, we, we know now that that masked man was one Peter Kellogg. Remember him from part one, talking about driving the restoration of the Mega A-Cat fleet. The duck boat was a cat, but 12 feet and about 120 pounds, give or take water in the bilge, and sporting a sail that looks to me smaller than a sunfish. Descendants of the sneak box duck boat hunting boats went back into the 1800s and have sailed competitively since the 1930s. The attempt to extend and revive the life of the duck boat, was really a grassroots effort. The search for new boats to race became a treasure hunt for forgotten and discarded duck boats, sitting in barns and backyards. Back there in 2005, before Labor Day, 54 duck boats came to the starting line of the World Ducks. The fleet was diverse. Half the skippers were over 15, half were under. The junior boats were more often than not double-handed. Every club in the bay represented, and sailors of all age. Today, the fleets are bigger. This is a regatta with a unique formula. Boat restoration plus kids' labor equals credit to your preferred charity. A unique prize. The patron underwrites the regatta on the basis that for every boat on the line, he would donate to the crew's favorite charity. 
the boats were to be restored by the kids with help from the members of the 13 clubs on the bay. And the rule was you had to sail every year. The original bounty was a $5,000 donation if your boat showed up in top shape. After that, each appearance earned a $1,000 donation. With some of the inflows coming back to junior sailing programs and the rest to a wide array of causes from churches to college athletic teams, this is sailing doing good. The Point Pleasant High School, east of Bayhead, restored a boat to raise money for its surfing team. Talking about the racing action, a recent Manilokian Commodore described the action. The races are held over a short triangle course. If it's windy, there are a lot of dropouts and sinkings. People don't always put the boat in the water to let it swell up. That, that to me sounds very familiar to someone who helps his neighbor drag an ancient beetle cat out of the backyard and put it in the water before it's dumped into the reaches of Nantucket Harbor for the rainbow parade that precedes the annual Opera House Cup. Every sailing place has its wooden diving bells equipped with sails. My own story of competing in 1973 is yet another case of being humbled at the feet of the Barnegat Bay sailing spirits. Directly west across the water, less than 100 yards from the Manilokan Yacht Club, is Beaton's Boatyard. Like so many builders of classic boats, it is a podcast in itself, and a place that time has tried to forget but just can't. This generation of management is headed by Tommy Beaton. The Beatons are not generally available for interviews. The vast majority of the 70-odd competitors that make it to the World Ducks are Beaton boats, some of them several generations old, patched and revived by the Beatons. I was given a spanking new, newly built duck boat to sail in the worlds. Two problems. One, I was way too big to fit in the cockpit. The contortions were incredible. And two, I outweighed the competitors by at least 50 pounds, which created a deadly drag on downwind performance. The result was a finish in the bottom third, surrounded by crews of eight-year-olds and veteran seniors who splashed their first deck boat 60 years ago. The worst was I had to face my students who all beat me. Sailing is about humility. The winner of the last World Ducks, Peter Komet, was a world laser champ in the 70s and the Olympic representative in the 1976 Montreal Olympics. On the event website, the Ducks is summarized as one of the racing highlights. The Duck Boat Worlds. The World Ducks. Every sailing ground has its traditions. A regatta for diminutive old wooden boats is part of this rich tradition. Another tradition on Barnegat Bay has to do with flags and roosters. Hence, the book Chasing Roosters. For almost a hundred years, there has been a tradition of presenting a blue flag with an image of a rooster to the winner of every class through the summer. Each week, a winning skipper writes his or her boat number on the flag and passes it on to the next winner each week. The winner of the last BBYRA race each year 
gets to keep the blue rooster flag. In the gallery for episode 16, we finished by showing that actual flag. At the end of part one of our Barnegat Bay show, remember Gary Jobson scrambling from his chair? He was going to fetch his rooster. Gary, while finishing the part one interview, was scrambling on Zoom to show his partner, Roy Wilkins, his two roosters. How the tradition started and what the rooster stands for remains a debate. Is it the cock of the rock? Is it, do you get to crow like a rooster? Imagination runs riot. It's pretty simple. You're first, you get a flag. You keep it until you don't win, like the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. Winning a rooster flag will continue to be the most important thing on the bay. By the way, in two summers on the bay, there was no rooster for me. Just a lighthouse flag for participation. See in the gallery for episode 17 for the picture of my flag. Not a rooster, but an image of the Barnegat Lighthouse some 20 plus miles to the south. So there you have it. A trip south, down to the bay. Part one and part two of e-scows, a-cats, sneak boxes, and duck boats. All Barnegat Bay classics. Thanks to Emily and John Wesson for their history and personal stories. Emily was a queen of the sneak boxes in her day. John, a duck boat stalwart with many world ducks to his credit, and those cute little wooden duck keepers that they give out. Thanks to Charles Raskub Robinson for his images of bay boats. See the red-sailed sneak box and the mighty A-cats, which he captured in oil paint. Thanks to Gary, Roy, and Peter Kellogg, the people who keep Barnegat Bay the vibrant, multi-generational sailing scene that it is. This brings us to the conclusion of the last episode in 2021. What a year. Thank you, listeners and subscribers, for making Conversations with Classic Boats the most listened-to podcast that talks to boats. We welcome your input for next year. A little preview. We have our first foreign boat coming in June the oldest one-design class in the world that has been continuously raced on the Clyde in Scotland. But first in January, Icy Classic, 88 Years of Winter Sailing at Larchmont, the frostbiting episode. Please continue to listen and tell your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, now including iTunes and Spotify. Remember, our podcast archive is free. You can go back and listen to the podcast that talks to boat anytime you want. Browse our galleries. Hundreds of pictures, free. Please, when you are online, give us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. And finally, in 2022, Conversations will bring you sponsors. You good companies out there, you want to talk to the Conversations audience, it's a good one. We'll build you a custom podcast with your message, host it if you like, and deliver it to our audience for free. Reach us at tcd for sale 2 that's tcd numeral 4, S-A-I-L 2, at gmail.com for all the details. We'll give you a custom podcast with a customized message. Not just sponsorship, custom sponsorship. You ever listen to Prairie Home Companion and Garrison Killer do those ads? You probably laughed more about the sponsors than the show itself. That's the idea. And our Conversations podcast team will do this all for you 
from composing to hosting. Thanks for all the production help. Ned Darling, Griffin Bengroff, and all of you who participated in the podcasts. You know who you are. And in this holiday season, take care of yourself and someone else if you can. Fair sailing, Tom Darling. Chariot along, we'll roll the old chariot along, we'll roll the old chariot along, and we'll all hang on behind. And a drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm, and we'll all hang on behind.